it is someone's favorite aunt someone's adored father someone's empathetic friend that becomes the leader we all resent it's always good people that become bad leaders and often it's because we've missed the journey of self mastery i don't think that we are given the tools to sit with ourselves and to understand deeply who we are being and why we are being that Hello there and welcome back to Hungry Women at Work with me Navelia Malloy. This is the podcast to help you thrive at work without losing your soul, without compromising on who you are. So a throwback to my childhood. I grew up surrounded by boys on my mom's side of the family. My brother is 4 years older than I am and I have 3 boy cousins who pretty much grew up like my brothers. Their father My late uncle used to call me Maggie Thatcher after the former UK prime minister. Apparently I was very good at giving them orders and running our play times with my little iron fist. <laughs> Now I can neither confirm nor deny those rumors, but what I can confirm is that I grew up in a family where I was never sidelined or treated as lesser than for being a girl. Nor was I told that it would be a stumbling block in my becoming a leader. Unfortunately, I know not all women can say the same. Today we're talking about leadership. Take a look around and you'll hear this refrain. We have a crisis in leadership. That's what people are saying all over the world and closer to home in South Africa as we've recently witnessed widespread violent protests, looting and unrest. On top of that, we also have mismanagement and corruption at a leadership level. What's been happening in South Africa over the past while is a crisis of leadership. But I'm not just meaning crisis in government or business or societal leadership. That's certainly the case in many parts. But if you really take time to sit and think about it, the leadership crisis that drives the bulk of the mayhem, of the chaos, of the destruction around us is a crisis of leadership of the self. If I don't know who I am, I live out a lesser version of myself. If I don't believe I have value, it's hard to find value in others. If I don't think my decisions and actions could negatively impact on others, I do them without a second thought. It's a crisis of identity, of purpose, of self, which ultimately leads to a crisis of leadership. How can I lead others when I can't lead myself? when i don't even know who i am or what my purpose is how can i lead others when i don't think about how my actions impact on those around me today's guest has a lot to say on this topic rachel nyarazo adams is a leadership and transformation specialist and owner of narachi leadership which delivers training and coaching for emerging leaders on the african continent Rachel coaches and develops individuals and teams to create the leadership solutions that can transform themselves and their environments. She has trained at various institutions including McKinsey, Yale, Allen Gray Orbis and Newfield. At her core though, she's simply on a quest to facilitate self-healing for societal impact. I know when we look around, many of us just feel at such a loss on how to fix things because the chaos just seems so overwhelming. 
But perhaps today we can start by trying with our little corner of the world, by starting to lead ourselves a bit better. Here's my interview with Rachel. Rachel Nyaradzo Adams, welcome to Hungry Women at Work. Thank you so much for having me, Navili. I'm looking forward to this conversation. So am I. Rachel, you are a leadership and transformation specialist and the owner of Narachi Leadership. In fact, the way I was introduced to you was Rachel is a leadership maven, a coach and a truth teller. What an intro. So tell us a bit more about this leadership maven and this truth teller. Tell us the real story behind her. Oh my goodness. I love that I was introduced that way. And I think the person who introduced us certainly has a way with words I've always thought. Um, And it's true. It is true. I have always been, since I was a child, intrigued by the choices that people make and why they make those choices, what stories they have heard, what influences um, have influenced them to think the way that they do and make the choices that they do. So for me, I've always, I've always been on an exploration of human behavior and human dynamics and why we do what we do. Um, and that led me over a long journey to a place where when I was at university, I studied anthropology and became very intrigued with the capability of really deeply investigating societies, cultures, people, and giving language to what they're doing and why they're doing. And that then led me into leadership development work and what is now being called a leadership maven, which is thinking about the, the capability that people have to create change in society and to lead others, to lead themselves, to lead systems and institutions and therefore to create the kinds of societies that we then all have to live in and be in. Um, And really a lot of my interest is how do we create the kind of leadership that is enabling? How do we give people tools that allow them to, first of all, be able to give the best of themselves. Secondly, to be able to give dignity to others. But thirdly, to build the kinds of systems, institutions that give the best opportunity for our society to continue to progress. Um, And so that for me has has always been the drive, ever since I can remember. (laughs) That's amazing. I like what you've said about leadership as an enabler. And I've read um, somewhere that you describe your work as being intimately about freeing people from their own chains. What I observe, Nabilia, is that it is always good people that become bad leaders, always. It is not some person who is possessed by some evil. It is not some person who is not human like us. It is someone's favorite aunt, someone's adored father, someone's empathetic friend, that becomes the leader we all resent. It's always good people that become bad leaders. And often it's because we've missed the journey of self-mastery. I don't think that we are given the tools to sit with ourselves and to understand deeply who we are being and why we are being that. 
And I, for me, I became passionate about this because I started to notice these things in myself, that while I had the best of intentions, there were just certain patterns of behavior that I had that I didn't understand, right? Like, so for example, I often struggled to develop trust in relationships. And so that led me to be at work very distant from others and not create um, the kind of environment where people felt free to be in conversation. I, I found that I had an, an interesting disposition of fear around taking risks um, and being with all of the opportunities that were coming to me. And then sometimes I found that I had, I had a tendency to intimidate people um, as a form of self-protection. But I discovered that as I was doing, I discovered that as I was doing my own work, isn't it? That, that this, this, this barrier that I was putting up was really because I was scared. And up until I walked the journey of understanding those things in myself, I was never going to be able to be the best leader that I can be. So we spend a lot of time on the, on the leading of others and the leading of systems work, but we don't spend as much work sitting with ourselves. And who would, who would be the catalyst for that? Because I mean, I think some of us maybe would be more inclined to go deep. Um, you speak a lot about self-awareness and the importance of self-awareness as a, an integral part of leadership. But does someone just wake up in the morning and say, you know, actually, I should start by leading myself. What is that aha moment that would make me look, take the lens from looking to the outward working of leadership and see that it actually begins within Paying attention, paying attention. I think there's two layers of this. What is the feedback you continually get? You know, people are, are constantly giving you feedback, whether it's overt or covert. How do people right. behave around me? What do I notice when I really look deeply into people's eyes? I often say to leaders, when you walk into a room, do people's eyes light up? Do their eyes light up? Or do you find people getting, in, you know, really sort of subduing and hiding within themselves? If you pay attention, the feedback that you're receiving from people will, will tell you something. But paying attention to your own responses to the world. So if you start really deeply noticing your own tendencies and habits and behaviors and how they're in interaction with your soul, and by that I mean your soul remembers who you are. It knows who you are. It knows what you came to the earth for. And then there's that human part of yourself that is, you know, that has been created by your environment. Yes, yes. And, and there's always a nagging voice in the background that says, this is not you. Absolutely. This is not, this is not what you came for. This is not the best of the your best. personality. Mm. And if you, so if you pay attention to that, then it will become apparent to you. And then you begin the journey. You begin the work. And I always say, your own wisdom will show you where you need to do the work if you just pay attention. So for, for example, for me, I remember, for example, in my second job, receiving the feedback finally and hearing it from the outside that you have a passive aggressive tendency, you're a little bit intimidating. Hmm. And thinking, oh my gosh, I didn't even realize that other people noticed this. And then I started to do my own work and recognize that it came from my own deep fear of being vulnerable. And so I put up a wall and created this persona of 
super confident and, you know, and I know everything and I'm, you know, and, and that was really just a protection because I was terrified. I was terrified of being vulnerable. I was terrified of taking risks. I was terrified of asking for help. Yes. And so, and so when I paid attention, then I was able to do the work. But if you're in denial of it, then, you know, nothing is possible. Can I just say that I salute you for the way in which you re- receive that feedback? Because as you say, the feedback is there. It's all around us, whether it's overt or covert. And the paying attention is is one thing, but kind of the the deal breaker then is the response to when that feedback comes. And it's not, it's the yucky response and what I do yeah. with it. So I just want to take a moment to, to honor and salute that example of, taking that pause and saying, okay, what is this, you know, what, what can I learn from this? How can I grow from this? Instead of putting up a further wall, which mm-hmm. shuts people out or says, actually, there's nothing that I need to change and I'm fine the way I am, which is a big deal. Absolutely. I want to talk a bit about the anthropology of leadership from the girl child to the working woman and you've already gone there. And especially mm-hmm. in an African context, from that moment that we're born or even before we're born and someone announces it's a girl, we are groomed either towards or away from leadership. And whether it's being told as a toddler, nice girls don't say that or don't talk back or as a teenager being encouraged to take certain sports or take on certain subjects that girls should take on. Mm -hmm. And then in our first job being told to just be grateful you know, that you have a job. Um, don't be too ambitious. Don't cause too much eruptions. To what extent, as an anthropologist, a fellow anthropologist, um, do you feel that our cultures, our societies, the families and communities in which we live gear women up for leadership? Oh, absolutely. I think that is a big part of how we turn out and turn up as women in the world, right, is an exercise I often like to engage women in when I do women in leadership work is to ask them, when did you first awaken to the fact that you're a girl? When was the first moment you started to recognize you're a girl in society? And if you can go back to that moment and the story and the experience that was surrounding that, you can start to see how it shows up in many aspects of your life. Very good. Um, And that's an important exercise because the messaging that we received that awakened us to, oh, wait, I'm a girl, to all of the things that you've mentioned, whether it was telling us that there are certain fights that are for women and certain fights that are for men, certain (laughs) things that are for women. And then we live those things out and they're not true for who we are. And so I often say that it's an important exercise to revisit these defining moments and Mm -hmm. ask yourself, are they really true for who I am? Do they serve me? There's a lot there, um, which we probably need a few days to unpack. I've been reading uh, the book Women and Leadership by Julia Gillard and Ngozi Okonje Iweala. Mm-hmm. And I want to read a section from the book. It's, it's really stayed with me. Uh, if, you, if you've got the book, it's on page 19. Um, How many women have led the United Nations or the World Bank? Zero. How many women have held the office of President of the United States, France, Nigeria, Mexico or Japan? Zero. 
how many women have been Prime Minister of Italy, Spain, Sweden, Malaysia or Singapore? Zero. Only 57 countries out of the 193 nations that are members of the United Nations have ever had a woman hold the highest political office with executive power in their nation, whether that be president or prime minister. This means that 70% of nations have always been led by a man. I want to hear your thoughts on that. So I have a, you know, I, I have a different take to this conversation sometimes when it comes to women in leadership, which is that I think it's important to be historical in our approach, right? Which is the way, the way for whatever reason we have structured ourselves is that women were not taking positions of power, uh, either because they were being told they can't, or either because they didn't want to, yes. or either because the society didn't enable them to, etc. That now that we have embarked on the journey of being intentional about making this happen, we are starting to see the strides, albeit slow, but we are starting to see the shifts. Definitely. And really, my 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 focus has always been on stay with the intention and see what happens. Right, stay with the intention and notice the shifts that become possible. And my message is if we want, if we as women want to take up more positions of influence, of power, of executive leadership, let's be intentional. Let's be intentional. And the more we are intentional, the more it will become possible. Courage is about engaging more than just the messaging that you're getting around you and really engaging the core of who you are and giving that a chance. So I remember being in corporate and I, and I was fortunate because I've always chosen work that I love. I've never done work I don't love. Ah, what, a, um, what a privileged position. Yeah. <laughs> it's wonderful. And you, know, and you know, people, and people often say that, and it's interesting because it was actually a very scary position to sign up for hmm. because the work that I do, for example, isn't as financially rewarding, hmm. right? Hmm. But I chose it. I chose it knowing that I went to institutions where I could have done work that's financially rewarding. I could have gone into the spaces where I was earning loads and loads of money, but I chose to do meaningful work that made sense to me, um, that made sense to what I feel I came to the earth to do. And, you know, that work has its implications. It means there's certain spaces I can't live in. It means there's certain cars I can never drive. It means, but those things don't matter to me. Right? I hear you. I hear you. You know, and it was, a, it was a choice. It was a, it was a, it was an intentional choice. It was a choiceful choice Fantastic. that I made. Um, and, but, but the point I was trying to make more importantly is that it was, it was moments of courage in saying, when I was sitting in corporate and going, I could do this for the rest of my life. I was a good corporate person, right? I, 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 was, I worked hard. I did what I was supposed to do. And I think I was a valuable member of teams, even with my you know, personal mastery issues. <laughs> but, you know, I did well enough. Um, by the time I, I had um, I resigned, I was the associate director for Africa at Yale University. I'd always worked for these prestigious institutions. Come but on. I remember a specific moment in Rwanda being in a room where I was hobnobbing with very important people across the continent, I remember thinking, what am I doing here? Mm. I literally 
are stopping in the middle of the room and saying, this is not your purpose. Mm. You have no business being in this room. You have no business having the conversations you're having. When will you give yourself a chance? And it was in that moment I decided to resign and start the work that I'm doing now. And, and, I, and, I, and it was to the point of I do work that I love. I gave up a lot. I gave up a lot of privileges. I left the corridors of power. I gave up you know, flying everywhere in business class and being in rooms with important people Ouch. so I could sit and do my work. So I could sit and do the work for which I came. And that takes courage. That's how, that's how we break that mold is we just have that moment where we say to you, you know what, there's never going to be a perfect moment. There's never going to be enough resources. There's never going to be an angel that comes down and tells you <laughs> go forth and do it. Now is the I mean, time. <laughs> like, this is your moment. Lovely to live in biblical times where angels seem just to show up to, to confirm things. You know that doesn't happen just, anyway. This is my no, no writing on you the wall to, for us. You got to figure it out, girl. But the angel is the heart. The angel is the conviction. The angel is the thing that keeps you up at night. Beautiful. When you start to pay attention to that and say, "But what is that? And can I give it a chance?" That's how we change our lives. It's very simple. I like that. You spoke about courage, and I, I do believe that that's such an integral part of the anatomy of a leader. The decisions that you made, which to others would seem like, oh, what a privileged position. You're like, mm -hmm. yeah, maybe on one side, but you know the struggle that got me. You know the sacrifices that I have chosen to make in order to be here. Do you have any other examples of women who are leading in unexpected ways? Because this is a very unexpected way to be leading um mm. any case studies from your work that you'd like to share with us for inspiration yeah so you know so for example so i live in zimbabwe and it is a society that of course is um challenged by the again the leadership that we have and I work with so many women, for example, in civil society who have made the choice to plug the gap, who have made the choice to be the solution that um, institutions should really be offering to societies. So, you know, as an example, just over COVID, I was so amazed. One of my, uh, the women, one of the women that I work with, who I coach and, and train um, as part of a larger institution, um, was spending her time literally um, getting women out of um, domestic violence situations in her community and continued to do this literally the week after her own husband died. And I could not, I mean, it's, it's for me that kind of heart, uh, that kind of um, availability to the work. Love it. And understanding that our societies only become what they should be when we work, when we do the work. And um, that, that encouraged me in incredible ways. And these are nameless women, right? These are women that a lot of us will make. They're not on Forbes list. Yes. They deserve to be. Yes. Right? They are not getting awards. They deserve the awards. Um, but they're silently in the background doing the work that matters. I desire to be that woman. Come That's on. the woman I want to be. Come on. Uh, the recognition for me, 
And I also say, you know, I, I, and this is a sidebar note, I think sometimes in Africa, there's just too many accolades too. I'm just like, guys, like <laughs> we keep congratulating ourselves and we're so far, we're so far from the mountain. <laughs> there's still so much work to do. Award for participation. Thank you for showing up. Well done, honey. Thank well you. done. And I, you know what? I do understand it. It's important to be encouraged. When I get the awards, I take them as encouragement. But I'm also to continue. But I'm also saying that I, I don't know, I think it's okay for us to just be like, really do an audit of how much do we have to go? How much work is there still be, to be done? Right. And to really start committing and collaborating to those things. So so you ask for a specific woman. I don't have a specific woman. I think what I have is an archetype of a woman. Um, and, I, and I'm enjoying people who are finding their courage to do, it, to do what they believe they came to, the, to do and doing that honestly. I, I really like that. That's at the heart of what we're trying to do with Hungry Women at Work. It's not about the Fortune 500 women. It's about the everyday woman who is taking society forward in her small corner just by showing up and having the courage to take it one step forward. You spoke about the gaps, and I want to speak to you for much mm-hmm. longer, but um, I'd like to pose a question from an anonymous listener who asks, I feel like the past year has just increased the gender gaps in my company. I feel stuck in my role. What can I do to fix that? Rachel, what would you advise this listener and others like her regarding what we can do to close the gaps, to move things forward? The first I would say is negotiation. You know, McKinsey did research that showed that, um, you know, 5% at the time, I think it was the 2016 uh, Women Matter report um five five percent of ceos in africa are women and those women one of the the traits that they the trait that they shared was the ability to negotiate um and so one of the things i think as women we can we can show up courageously for is negotiating our environments because there's certain things that only we can fight for. There only, there's certain things that only we understand. Yes. And once we start to give language to those things, I think we will find that men are more reasonable than we frame them to be. I, like <laughs> I that. think when we start sort of showing them and telling them and being like, listen, this is not how life works yes. for women, people will start to be like, oh, okay, I get that. Um, um, so... Because again, I don't also like this frame where we sort of frame this whole hashtag men are trash thing. Yeah, I just feel like... You know, I think that you'll find that there's, there's always a small percentage of idiots. I always say that every society has a small percentage of idiots. They're, they're a small percentage of racists. They're a small percentage of misogynists. They're, they're, they're a small, but, and they're the repeat perpetrators, yes. by the way, who then give everybody else a bad name. But I would like to believe that society, for the larger part, has reasonable people. And if we have reasonable conversations, they can meet us halfway. So for me, negotiation. State your case. Let's do it in mass. Let's all show up for the conversation for for what women need. And again, I think society will show up for us. That's number one. Number two, I would say that it's really important for us to start to question that story. I worked with a woman once, for example, um, who was convinced that the reason she wasn't making it to an executive level was because they were there was basically a patriarchy that was in the way, right? And that was the conversation she was having. And I said, you know, you know, historically, there's a story there. 
But I would like you to be with your own story, not the story you're being told. So really start to really start to map your own reality. Yes. So I literally invited her to draw a map of the reality of the situation she was in. And she realized that she had more male allies than what she had taken notice of because she was so focused on this story that she had been told that this, this, this organization is very patriarchal and the men will not give you a chance. I said to her, that's not your story. That's someone else's story. Whoa. You live out your own story. A year later, she was in the executive position. She thought she'd never get into Come because on. she started to build purposeful relationships with the men around her. Um, wow. And the third thing, the third thing I would say is believe in your madness. <laughs> and this is something I tell everybody I work with. <laughs> believe in your madness. Love it. Because, because when we are living out our, when we are touching our highest dreams, it will feel crazy. There will be no echo in society. There are no eyes that will you will look into that will say, that sounds like a good idea. Go ahead and do it. Go ahead and quit your job and go do the thing. Or, or go ahead and, and frame your life. There will be no eyes that will confirm or affirm it. It will feel crazy. Trust that craziness. Especially because, of course, I want to be very clear. Disclaimer, this, we're not talking about people who want to go out and harm other people. This is not the madness we're talking about. Absolutely. I am talking about the madness that dares to believe that we can create the societies we desire to serve. Where when you wake up and you and you look at when you look at society and you say that people can't access healthcare is this is not right and feels crazy. Believe that madness. Mm. Believe that madness. When you wake up and you say why can't children access the education and knowledge that they need. And it feels crazy in your head because, you know, we're being told, oh, but society is like that. And just, you know, some people deserve and some people don't. When you have those, that passion and drive to create a better society will feel crazy, believe it. Believe it, believe it, believe it and follow it. And I really think that that will undo all the histories we don't like. That for me is what is important. So, so that would be my invitation. I love them. I mm-hmm. am encouraging myself to believe the madness and that's going to be my hashtag for the next few weeks too. <laughs> to all those friends with the crazy ideas that you know, you just need, you need that one sister to come alongside you and that's all it will take. I could sit here talking to you all day, but as we go to, as we close, your advice to senior women leaders. Stop limiting younger people's opportunities by, again, telling them your story as if it's the only story, (laughs) right? I I mean, if you're going to mentor and coach, and I must say, I've been so frustrated because I enter a lot of of conversations because I I speak a lot. So I'm always in rooms where people say things like they're the gospel too. And I'm like, I think it's important that you make a disclaimer that this was your experience. Because if you start to tell young people that this is what they should expect in the workplace, nobody will support you. Nobody's there to help you. It is lonely out there. It's lonely. For example, people say it's lonely at the top. I'm like, because you took no one with you, my friend. 
That was your choice. Nobody, nobody, there's no book where it was said it is the rule that it is lonely at the top. It's lonely at the top because leaders don't take people with them. They don't intentionally build relationships that they can take to the top. They burn bridges. That's on you. Don't tell us that story. Like it's everybody's story. It's not fair. Ah, that is the healthiest shade I have heard. And it's something... I will take with me as I, um, in faith, venture further to the top. It is lonely there because you haven't taken anyone with you. Powerful, powerful words. Keep up the incredible work that you're doing. We'll be watching this space. And thank you for your time with us here today. Thank you, Lavinia. So good to be with Hungry Woman at Work. Nobody wakes up thinking, how can I create boring content today? Give your brand a fresh new voice with Audio Audacious. For podcasting, voiceovers, audio content, script writing, and content strategy, check out audiodacious.com. What an insightful conversation, right? Don't you just feel like getting out there and doing something about the crisis of leadership, starting with yourself? I know I certainly do. To get in touch with Rachel, go to narachileadership.com and you can find all her social handles there. But she's currently writing a book, so she warns that you should expect slow replies. Now, we've already responded to our listener question earlier during the interview, but keep posting your questions on our WhatsApp line at plus two seven six zero nine two one six nine seven seven, or visit hungrywomenatwork.com where you can also find past episodes, blogs, and other interesting tips all in one place. Before we wrap up though, won't you please take a moment to subscribe to Hungry Women at Work on Google or Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen, so you never miss an episode. Also, please share the episode with your friends or colleagues or someone who just needs to hear this encouragement today. Thank you once again for tuning in. Till next time. Keep thriving at work without losing your soul.